Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the betters box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Friday, March 19th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Strap in for a long one here because I'm going to go over two divisions in the five and fly segment, give you some spring training updates, some injury updates, all of that. This will be probably an hour-long show, give or take. I know everyone very focused on the NCAA tournament and March Madness right now, but we're under two weeks away from the start of the 2021 Major League Baseball season, so I'm running out of time with the betters box to get these shows done, get these division previews taken care of. So with that in mind, decided to do two divisions here today. Wanted to get the show out a little bit earlier, but making that last-minute decision to put together a second division Kind of took some more time in the notes and all of that. So with that in mind, you're listening to this at your leisure, I hope. Again, not exactly time-sensitive information, but definitely things that you want to know as you get ready for opening day on April 1st. While I'm talking baseball on today's show, and I have talked a lot of baseball over at ATS.io with the 2021 MLB betting guide, still lots of NCAA tournament coverage, coverage of golf, UFC, NASCAR, NBA, NHL, all that good stuff going on over at the ATS.io website right now. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website, a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, a premium model subscription is available in there as well. Lots of good stuff in that ATS app. Like I talked about already, the 2021 MLB betting guide over there at ATS.io. You can also find the PDF on my Twitter page at skating tripods, or you can email me skating tripods at gmail.com. If you want a copy of this year's 2021 MLB betting guide, it is completely free, which I don't know. I feel like it's worth a lot of money, uh, but it is a completely free resource for you. So you check that out at the website, or you can find that PDF on my Twitter page at skating tripods. And lastly, if you want the notes, from the betters box segments, because there are a lot of things I talk about, a lot of numbers, a lot of stats, stuff like that. If you want to get on the mailing list, the email list for the notes for the betters box, skating tripods at gmail.com, the way to get in touch with me. And I will be sending out the notes from this show and the previous two shows here uh, on Friday. So if you get those and you don't want to get them anymore, that's fine. I'll just take you off the list. Uh, If you do want to continue getting them, Just, you know, you don't have to say anything. You're already on the list. But if you want to get added to that list for the betters box notes, email me skatingtripods at gmail.com. All right, so some spring training updates here. Looking at a few things from a team standpoint real quickly. Piggybacking off of what I talked about last week, stats are very hard to decipher in spring training because you get these pitcher versus hitter matchups that you're not going to see in the regular season guys that are single A or double A arms facing proven major league caliber guys, stuff like that. And even now where we're under two weeks and now you've got teams kind of setting up their rotations, guys playing multiple days in a row, relievers working multiple days in a row, stuff like that. Don't even read too much into that because the sample sizes just aren't overly significant. However, like I talked about last week, strikeout percentage, walk percentage, uh, increases in velocity, ground ball percentage, fly ball percentage, all those types of things stabilize at a pretty low number of uh, of occurrences. So those are stats that do have some kind of merit here in spring training. So keep that in mind. However, also keep in mind that velocity may hang a little bit low when we get to the regular season because of the cooler weather, harder to get loose. You know, obviously we all know anything that you try to do outside is much more difficult to do when the weather is not awesome like it usually is here in Arizona and Florida. So keep that in mind as we get into the season. Three teams that may be making some offensive changes. And again, the sample sizes are fairly small. You've got you know a, a different set of pitchers that these teams are facing, all of that. But three teams seem to be hitting a lot more fly balls here, at least in spring training, which would suggest to me that we've got some launch angle changes in play here that could increase the offensive ceilings for these teams. They are the Toronto Blue Jays, the San Francisco Giants, and the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, the Blue Jays in particular, we've seen a launch angle change with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., where he's hitting a lot more fly balls. Last year, a guy that put a lot of balls on the ground, 
it's very hard to do damage with ground balls. But with fly balls, line drives, stuff like that, you get those extra base hits, you hit for more power, so on and so forth. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has had a launch angle increase here so far in spring training. The Blue Jays as a team have been hitting more fly balls. George Springer, also a guy that hits a lot of fly balls. So if they increase fly ball percentage with Guerrero and have that sort of filter through the rest of the lineup, this Blue Jays team gets a much higher offensive ceiling, particularly with playing their home games in Florida to start and then maybe moving to Buffalo. Uh, I saw uh, the CDC in the White House may sort of uh, you know decrease restrictions traveling over the border. So maybe Toronto does get to go back home here at some point in the summertime. And Rogers Center, a pretty good park for hitting for power as well. So this is a big development for the Blue Jays. Again, I don't want to say it's anecdotal in spring training. We do see it in the sample size, but it is something I do want to see if it carries over to the regular season. The Giants hitting a lot of fly balls. Tampa Bay hitting a lot of fly balls as well. And last year, Tampa Bay led the league in pull percentage. So obviously, Tampa Bay really looking to drive the baseball in the air, maximize their power potential in that regard. But along with Toronto, the other big one to me is the Milwaukee Brewers. They're hitting more fly balls here in the spring out in Arizona. They were 28th in fly ball percentage last season. And this is a team that's got a pretty good pitching staff. The offense kind of lagged behind a little bit. If they start hitting more fly balls, and in particular a guy like Christian Yelich, who's had some pretty high ground ball rates throughout his career, the Brewers' offensive ceiling gets quite a bit different. So right now, as I'm looking through some of the spring training stats that could have some relevance, I'm starting to formulate an opinion in my mind that Toronto and Milwaukee may be early season over teams with these increases in fly ball percentage. A few injury updates here, and Jason Martinez over at Roster Resource for Fangraphs does a phenomenal job with his opening day tracker, looking at players that could open the season on the roster, could open the season on the injury list, stuff like that. There are a few players I want to touch on here very, very quickly. One of them being Spencer Turnbull for the Detroit Tigers. He's in COVID protocol right now. So he had a start skipped, and now his throwing regimen has kind of been pushed back a little bit. That means he'll probably miss a start or two. And when you get guys that are missing starts here at this point in time in spring training or being shut down a couple of days from throwing, something like that, those are guys that in all likelihood will be delayed to start the regular season. So Spencer Turnbull, one of them. Sonny Gray, he was scratched from a start this past week. He could get off to a little bit of a slow start, maybe not pitch until the team's fourth or fifth game, something like that. Zach Eflin for the Phillies, same thing for him with a back issue. Back issues are a big deal. They tend to linger. They generally don't go away. Teams will be very careful early on because now we're back to the 162-game season. Cold weather in April. Innings monitoring will be going on. Keep that in mind here as you're looking at season win totals or early season thoughts on some of these teams. There will be teams that take things very easy with their players at the outset of the year here. So Turnbull, Sonny Gray, Zach Eflin, three guys that I think could get a little bit of a delayed start to the season. Uh, Framber Valdez got a very favorable second opinion on his fractured ring finger. They said there had been significant healing already. So he may only just miss some time instead of missing the entire season. We'll talk about the Astros here in a few more minutes when I get to the five and fly segment. And lastly here, Bobby Witt Jr. Could be the starting, could be in the starting lineup for the Royals here at the start of the year. And the Royals are not worrying at all about service time. And I give them a lot of credit for that. They bring up Brady Singer and Chris Bubik last year. Now maybe they go ahead and let Bobby Witt Jr. go on opening day. I like this, you know, for a team that's not making the playoffs for a team that really shouldn't be worried about saving a few million dollars in five or six years. I like this. I like that they're being aggressive with the timelines for their prospects. And I also think too, and this is more of a, uh, more of an intangible type of thing, more of a narrative based thing that the players appreciate this. The team will get a bit of a lift from this type of thing because it suggests that the front office and the ownership group simply wants to put the best possible team out there. The team that gives that franchise the best opportunity to succeed in this upcoming season. And I think 
this could be a shot in the arm for the Royals. Even if Bobby Witt doesn't come out and play super well, I think it's still a shot in the arm for the Royals to see that there's a commitment here, not only to spending down the line with new owner John Sherman, but a commitment to putting the best possible 26-man roster together. I think that could be a boost for the Royals, who I do like and did already bet from a season win total over standpoint. So as I said at the top of the show here, uh, you know, I was only going to do one division because I don't like to cross leagues with the five and fly segments, but with only two Fridays left until opening day, because the season starts on Thursday, April 1st, figured I would go ahead and do two divisions here for the five and fly segment. Again, the five and fly five minutes on each of the five teams. So this will be pretty close to a 50 minute segment here, breaking down 10 of the 30 teams. In Major League Baseball, the five in the AL West and the five in the NL East. May kind of speed this up a tad just to get this show out before all the March Madness stuff gets underway. But here we go with the five and fly segment, beginning with the American League West. And we go in alphabetical order with this. So that means starting with the Houston Astros here. Their season win total in that 87 and a half range, uh, 25 to one to win the World Series. And I'll go ahead and put the cart before the horse here and tell you that, look, I played Houston to win the World Series at 25 to 1, played their season win total over. When I look at the Houston Astros here, I see a very good offense and I see a pitching staff that looks like it has some upside to it. Last year in the 60 game sample, you know, the Astros had to use as many pitchers in 60 games as they used over 162 games the previous year. So they lose Justin Verlander right away. And obviously that was a big deal for them, but they also lost a bunch of bullpen guys throughout the course of the year or started moving guys around because they weren't effective. Uh, Joe Smith opted out of the year. Uh, his mother has ALS, I believe. So he's very you know um, aware of that situation. He's got a foundation and a charity and all of that. So he opted out of the season you know, to be there for family reasons. Uh, Roberto Osuna, he pitched through it partially toward UCL. Then he was also hurt. They had a lot of guys in the bullpen that were either ineffective or just couldn't pitch for them. So the Astros wound up having a really uh, a bullpen that was in a state of flux, to say the least. Then after losing Garrett Cole, you lose Justin Verlander. So all of a sudden, your starting rotation looks a lot different. They've got to force a guy forward like Christian Javier. They've got to, you know, hope that Lance McCullers Jr. stays healthy. And McCullers did struggle a little bit at the outset in his return, but then he wound up pitching very well. They cut down on Framber Valdez's walk rate in a significant way. Jose Urquidy wound up being pretty good. Brandon Belak made some starts. Now, they did already lose Forrest Whitley to Tommy John surgery, and Valdez will miss some time. We don't know how much. But this is a team and an organization that just develops so well internally. Their player development staff is outstanding. They draft well. They scour the international ranks very, very well. They've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of guys that I think they're confident can come up and you know provide some positive contributions for them across all facets of the game. So yeah, they've got a strong bullpen. They've got a competent rotation. It is a little bit depth shy, but I really think that this offense will make some significant strides. And when you look at this offense from 2019 to 2020, Houston went from first in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, WOBA, weighted on-base average, WRC+, plus, weighted runs created plus, strikeout percentage, and walk percentage. They were first in all of those categories in 2019. In 2020, they were 20th in batting average, 23rd in OBP, 16th in slugging, 18th in WOBA, 17th in WRC+. Plus. Still had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball, but had the 19th ranked walk rate. So this is a team that still made a lot of contact, but didn't have the positive results. Went from sixth in home run per fly ball percentage to 26th. So this is a team that, yeah, okay, fine. They lost George Springer, but they had a lot of guys last year in Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yulieski Gurriel, guys that just simply did not have good seasons. They didn't have Jordan Alvarez. He wound up missing just about all of the year with his knee issues. So this is a team that offensively 
they have a lot of guys that are in bounce back possibility or that have bounce back possibilities here for this 2021 season. And I do think more often than not, those guys will perform closer to their league or to their career averages or their 2019 numbers. So I think this Astros offense will bounce back in a big way. They retooled the bullpen. They brought in some new guys. They brought in a guy like Pedro Baez, who's a really good fit here. Uh, Ryan Presley had some health issues last year. He should be better. They've done a lot of smart things as they always do. They should have better fortunes on the health front. They should have better fortunes with their contact quality and their balls in play. I like this Houston team. I think this Houston team still wins the West. And that's why I bet them to win the World Series. It's not because I think they can win the World Series, although it's certainly a possibility. It's because if they win the West here, I get a playoff team and a dangerous one at that at 25 to one. So I think this is a really good spot to set up some hedging possibilities to find ways to guarantee some profit. I really do like this Houston team in a lot of ways. I think they're undervalued and underappreciated. So the Astros are a buy team for me here. Maybe not necessarily early in the season, but a buy team for the season as a whole. Next up here in the AL West is the Los Angeles Angels. And the big story for the Angels here so far in spring training, Shohei Otani has just been ripping the cover off the ball. And he's also looked good when throwing it. He's actually looked good on the mound. And Otani is a guy, there's always that injury cloud that's hanging over him. You know, had some UCL damage. Uh, and, and a guy that, you know, had Tommy John, wound up being just relegated to being a hitter, wasn't really able to pitch much. I don't know if he stays healthy or not, but if he does, he single-handedly increases the ceiling for this team in a dramatic way because he's a good offensive player and he's got plenty of upside as a pitcher as well. And all of the sudden now, you look at this Angels team where Mike Trout has, I think it's 15 or 18 career playoff plate appearances. It's embarrassing for the best player of our generation to not make the playoffs. But now, if Otani is good, and Trout has Anthony Rendon, who had a higher war than him in the short sample last year, all of the sudden, this Angels offense looks kind of dangerous. You know, David Fletcher doesn't make high-quality contact, but he puts a ton of balls in play. The Angels have a lot of bat-to-ball guys that will put balls in play. They've got some guys with some decent walk rates as well. They do still have some big-money contracts that are just sucking up funds from them. Justin Upton's a bad player now. Obviously, we all know where Albert Pujols is at this stage of his career. But the Angels have some pieces and parts here offensively, and we'll see what Jared Walsh and Joe Adele are able to do. But they've got pieces and parts to put together a league average or better offense here around a pitching staff that does need some help. However, they have a new regime now. Perry Manasian is a guy who's been around baseball throughout his entire life. And he talked about this for The Athletic uh, back in February, January and February, about a big focus on run prevention for the Angels. So they want to try and put themselves in a position where if they've got a league average or better offense, they can win a lot of games. So what they've decided to do here is load up on ground ball pitchers. Now, I would like this strategy a lot more if they still had Andrelton Simmons, who I think is the best defensive shortstop of all time. But Jose Iglesias is not bad at that position. They've got a pretty decent defensive infield here. So that's what they're going for. They're trying to pitch away from the launch angle generation by inducing a lot of ground balls. And that's fine. We'll see if it works out for them. A ground ball strategy can be very high variance because ground balls find holes. You know, just kind of is what it is the nature of the beast. And this is not a good outfield defense. The infield defense is okay. The outfield defense is not great. So you're talking about a lot of balls in play. And I do worry about that strategy to a degree. However, if they can increase the strikeout rates for their starting pitchers, for their relievers, give themselves a little bit better of a chance at that run prevention model that Manasian wants to try and implement here, this could be a really good team. Now, I think there are a lot of questions, and obviously the offense is not particularly deep. It's very top-heavy with Rendon and Trout. And Otani, of course, a high upside, but an injury risk to that end. So I'm not fully invested in this Angels team. I think they've got a high ceiling, but I also think the floor could be a little bit lower than people realize for this team. Because 
They don't get a lot of strikeouts and they put a lot of balls in play and you never know what the balls in play. They're not a great contact quality offense. They're, you know, probably better this year with Otani and with a full season of Rendon and all of that. But, you know, again, I just, I think that this team is kind of hard to pinpoint, kind of hard to project because they're going to be subject to a lot of variance with those balls in play. So I do think though, that this Angels team, if I was to stack rank the West, Houston would be on top for me, then the Angels, then the A's, and then followed by the Mariners and the Rangers. So I do think that Anaheim is Los Angeles, whatever, is a second place caliber team here in this division. The question is, are they in that wild card hunt? Are they possibly in the division hunt? We don't really know yet, but they are an improved team. And that's really my biggest takeaway where more often than not, when I do the MLB betting guide, I've been very low on the angels the last several years this year. I'm not nearly as low on this team. And that says a lot to me because I try to trust my intuition because I feel like I've got a good handle for major league baseball and the betting aspects of it. And the fact that I don't hate the angels does kind of stand out to me. And similarly, as we transition to the Oakland A's here, Generally speaking, I've loved the A's. Year in and year out, I've been a big fan. I've thought that their win total lines have been set a little bit too low. People have been too slow to believe in this team and what they're able to do. With that being said, the fact that I don't like Oakland for this season does stand out to me in a big way. I'm looking for regression from the Oakland A's this year. In the small sample last year, 36 and 24, But by base runs, an alternate standings metric over at Fangraphs, they were 32 and 28. And then by third order win percentage, they were 31 and 29. And third order win percentage is a much more detailed formula. I don't really have time to break it down on today's show, but it has a lot to do with the strength of your opponent and just sort of, you know, your performance based on a lot of underlying metrics. So they did overachieve in the small sample. And I don't mind teams that overachieve. There are some teams that overachieve year in and year out for a variety of different reasons. The Milwaukee Brewers being one of the best case examples. But when you overachieve and have significant personnel losses, that's when I get very worried. And for Oakland here, they lose Robbie Grossman. You know, a guy that maybe doesn't have the best batting average, but walks quite a bit, a very versatile kind of player. They lose Marcus Semien. They lose Tommy LaStella. They lose Liam Hendricks, the closer. They lose Joaquin Soria, a very solid and reliable reliever. They pick up Elvis Andrews for Chris Davis. I don't think that move does a whole lot for them. I'm not an Elvis Andrews guy. They did make some late signings to kind of improve the bullpen, and those were some things that happened around the time that I was starting to make my final edits for the MLB betting guide with Adam Kalerik, who they got from the Dodgers, Sergio Romo, Trevor Rosenthal, Not a big Rosenthal guy myself, but a lot of people out there are. So they did make some moves to kind of fill some voids in the bullpen. But the bullpen's been one of the biggest strengths for this Oakland team over the last several seasons. And while I think it's still an above average group in all likelihood for this year, I really don't think it's a strength for this team. I don't think it's a top five, probably not even top 10 caliber bullpen. It could get close but I don't think that it's as much of a dominating strength for the A's as it has been in past years. And in particular too, and I wrote about this in my A's preview in the guide, as more teams have focused on the bullpen, as more teams have gotten smarter, as teams have started to do things with spin rates and have kind of realized that platoon advantages don't really work the same way as they used to this and that. Anytime those things become league wide trends, They take away from the teams that were innovative, that were trailblazers, a team like Oakland. As more teams do what the Oakland A's are doing, it takes away those strengths, those advantages at the margins, those edges for teams like the A's. So that worries me a little bit here too, in that they used to really prioritize the bullpen and were one of the few teams doing it. So it was a big strength for them. But now just about everybody is prioritizing the bullpen. So this group for the A's, while it's not bad by any means, I think it has kind of fallen behind some of the other bullpens that are out there. Last year, Oakland's offense, very league average. They had a high walk rate, but a massive drop-off in power production. 
They were second in fly ball percentage last year, but 22nd in home runs per fly ball percentage. Park factors were at play. They did only play the AL West teams for the most part, of course, as we know with the imbalanced schedule. They had to play more than half of their season at home. They played 32 games at home, 28 on the road. The dead end baseball could hurt this team's offensive profile. And when I start looking at teams that could be impacted negatively by what's rumored to take place with the baseball, the A's are up at the top of the list because they're a low batting average team. They rely on power. They hit a lot of fly balls. I think their offense could definitely regress here even more for this season, even though they will be hitting with some more favorable park factors. But overall, regression from the offense, the rotation has major health worries. I don't think the bullpen is as good. The depth is pretty limited, I think, overall for this team because of injuries or just simply because they've graduated some guys to the big leagues already. I already bet the under 87 and a half with the A's, and it's, it seems like it's been a pretty popular season win total bet to this point, but I'm not a believer in Oakland here for this season. Next up is the Seattle Mariners. Their season win total in the 72 and a half range The Mariners finally played some young guys last year, and that was a sight for sore eyes. All 60 of their starts in the short season sample from pitchers under 30. So they're no longer wasting their time with also-rans and has-beens and never-wases and all of that. They're finally starting to shift towards using their young guys. They finally have some young guys that they can use from trade and drafting and all that kind of thing. 16 players, 25 or younger, played pretty significant time last year for the Mariners. And that's important to me because that's invaluable experience for a team that's not going anywhere. I mean, last year they went 27 and 33. That was pretty misleading overall. They were more like a 25 and 35 team, 24 and 36 by the advanced metrics. But some guys got to go out there and get experience. You know, some of their young position players, Some of their young starting pitchers got to go out there and actually get a taste of Major League Baseball, get a taste of what it takes to be an everyday player or get a regular turn in the rotation in this league because it is different, man. The pitches are faster. They break sharper, tighter spin rates. The game speeds up on you, higher exit velocities, so on and so forth. There is a huge learning curve, even just from going to AAA to the big leagues in Major League Baseball. I mean, when you talk about graduating from the minors in any other league, it's nowhere near the same as baseball. That leap is so much bigger on the diamond. And for Seattle to get a lot of these guys some experience last year, I think it was really beneficial for them. Now, with that being said, this is a bottom 10 offense in all likelihood. Maybe you get Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelenic. Maybe you get both of those guys coming up here this season. And that will increase the ceiling for this offense. But for right now, I don't think either one of those guys break with the team on opening day. So this is a bottom 10 offense, low contact quality, not a lot of power, lots of swing and miss. They do walk a little bit. So there is that, but you know, in the AL West, a lot of those pitching staffs don't really have high strikeout upside. The Rangers most certainly do not the A's to a degree, the angels, not really. So the Mariners struck out a lot last year playing predominantly AL West teams here in this upcoming season, they will play everybody. They will play across the American league. And of course, then play their national league games as well. So I think this team strikes out a ton for this season that will lower their offensive ceiling for sure. Lower their offensive profile in a lot of ways, certainly very concerning in that regard on the pitching side though. They look a little more interesting here. You know, you've got Yusei Kikuchi, increase in velocity, sharper breaking stuff. The spin rates increased last year. Last year, they taught him a cutter that wound up being a pretty good ground ball pitch for him. Kikuchi is a guy that looks the part here in spring training. And again, you don't want to get, you know, too enamored with the numbers and all of that. But when I see a velocity increase, when I see sharper break, when I see those things that you could quantify under the hood with stat cast data and all of that, Those are things that do get me excited. So I think Kikuchi does look better here for the Mariners. We know that Marco Gonzalez is a pretty good starting pitcher, certainly an above average hurler with regards to, uh, you know, the numbers that we see across Major League Baseball from starting pitchers. After Kikuchi and Gonzalez, 
then what do we get? You know, do we get a bounce back season from James Paxton, who's trying to, you know, get himself another big payday, try to re-cement himself as a pretty good starting pitcher after some tough years with the Yankees and, of course, the ongoing injury concerns for him. Justice Sheffield, great year last year. Did he kind of figure it out? Where he started throwing more four-seam fastballs and fewer sinkers, got more swing and miss, increased his contact quality against all of that. Justice Sheffield could be a buy guy. Does Justin Dunn kind of figure it out? You know, they have some pieces in this rotation that are pretty interesting. The Mariners will be a team that I look to bet unders with early on in the year here because I do think their pitchers are improving while I do think this offense lags behind. But the bullpen is still bad. It's still a bottom 10 offense. Not looking for any sort of big surprise from the Mariners. Don't have a play on their season win total, but at least there are some fairly exciting developments with this team, which is something that we really couldn't say over the last several years. Next up here is the Texas Rangers, and I can save some time on the Rangers here by simply telling you that I think the Texas Rangers will be the worst team in the American League this season. I think this is the team with the lowest ceiling. I guess this is the team with the lowest floor. I don't really like anything about this Texas Rangers team. And their season win total in that 66 and a half range. And it's very, very hard for me to bet season win totals that are extremely low because you just don't have any margin for error. You know, if that team starts 20 and 20 over its first 40 games, something like that, a quarter of the season is done and they're a 500 team. So you need them to be really bad going forward. And I do think it's very much a possibility here with the Texas Rangers. I mean, look, the top of the rotation, you know, Kyle Gibson, Jordan Lyles, Mike Fultonevich, Kohei Arihara. Um, it's, it's just, there's no ceiling to this rotation at all. It's a very bad group. I guess Dane Dunning could be a ceiling guy, the guy they got from the White Sox in exchange for Lance Lynn. But I just, I, I don't see anything in this rotation to get excited about. Then you've got this park factor at Globe Life Field, just terrible for offense, just not good for offense at all whatsoever. And this is a team that, look, they were 16 and 14 at home last year in their first experience there at Globe Life Field, but they were minus 23 in run differential. So they were not a team that played like they should have had a winning record at home. Then you look on the road, they were 6 and 24 on the road. They had a team ERA of 555 away from home with a 511 FIP. I mean, that's just awful. They were bottom four in every offensive category on the season as a whole. They didn't hit on the road. They didn't hit at home. They didn't hit anywhere. This is a bad offense, a bad team, a bad pitching staff. I don't like anything about the Rangers for this season. The bullpen doesn't even look any good. There's no upside whatsoever. They're shedding costs. You know, they ran a top 10 payroll, I think from 2012 to 2017. They don't have any money guaranteed to anybody beginning with the 2023 season. So they are shedding payroll. They may spend again at some point, but they're just, they're not in a position to contend right now. And you see that in every single facet of this ball club. So the Rangers to me, I think will be the worst team in the American league. I don't know if there will be any props for that or anything like that, but I think the Orioles are better than them. I think the Tigers are better than them. The Royals and the Mariners certainly are. I think the Rangers are the worst team in the American League and quite possibly the worst team in baseball here for this season. So does that mean I'll eventually bet their season win total under? I guess it's a possibility, but uh, for right now, I just I see nothing to like about this Texas Rangers ball club. Take a quick drink of water here, and then we'll finish up this edition of the Betters Box, taking a look at the National League East from a five-and-fly standpoint. And when I look here at the National League East, we start with the Atlanta Braves going in alphabetical order, as I always do. Three straight NL East division crowns for the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, what's really funny about the Braves is that the projection systems generally don't like them a whole lot. And this was talked about in the Atlanta media where Pakoda once again, low on the Braves. And they've they've overexceeded expectations each of the last three years. And a lot of this has to do with how strong of a base this organization has from top to bottom. They draft well. They develop well. They do very well in the international free agent ranks. Now, of course, they did have some issues. They had some guys 
you know, suspended from Major League Baseball. Uh, they lost some of their international pool money. Kevin Maton had to, uh, you know, go to another team. They did do some shady things in the international free agent market that maybe gave them some advantages. But the fact of the matter is, this is a really, really good team. And not only that, but every part of this team is good. The offense is good. The defense is good. The rotation is good. I really like the bullpen. I think Brian Snicker is a pretty good manager. I like their front office. And also, too, they're doing a lot of incredibly smart things. On offense, they have increased their launch angle quite significantly. And it's one of the reasons why I think Ronald Acuna Jr. could very well win the MVP this year, if not the home run title. He's hitting a lot more fly balls. And we've seen this with a lot of the Braves hitters here. And they're doing this at the minor league level and translating it up to the big league level as well. Last year, fourth in fly ball percentage, third in line drive percentage, second in exit velo- in average exit velocity. This is an offense that makes a ton of quality contact and they do it with launch angle. They do it through the air, whether it's a line drive or a fly ball. And that is what creates in this current environment the most sustainable type of offense is to hit the ball hard and hit it in the air. And the Braves do both of those things and they do them really, really well. In the short sample last year, top three in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, WOBA, WRC+, BABIP, and they were a top 10 caliber offense in 2019. So they make that big leap in 2020. And I think what a lot of it has to do with is the fact that they've made this concerted effort to hitting the ball in the air. Because what do we know about ground balls nowadays? Hitting into the shift, better defensive positioning, all of that. Teams are just better prepared for ground balls. But it's very hard still to field a line drive. It's very hard to field a high-velocity fly ball. So the Braves are just doing absolutely brilliant things on the offensive side, and they've got the talent to support it as well. And I think bringing back Marcelo Zuna really increases the offensive ceiling of this team. Now, the pitching staff last year actually could have been better. Mike Soroka getting hurt, the ruptured Achilles was a big deal for them. They were in a massive state of flux with the back of their rotation for much of the 60-game sample. But Max Fried got a lot better. Improved command, uh, rated very highly in the exit velocity department, gave up fewer home runs. Max Fried is legit. I like Charlie Morton still in what is probably his swan song of a season here. Ian Anderson, a dark horse Cy Young guy, big strikeout upside. But what the Braves are doing is they're buying on spin rate. And they went out and gave a lot of money to Drew Smiley, which was a big question mark to me. But they're buying on spin rate. They're developing spin rate internally. They're doing so many smart things here that make me a believer and everything that they have going on. It's a deep bullpen. It's a strong bullpen. I still think the Braves win the National League East, and I'm kind of starting to talk myself into betting their season win total over, which is in the 91, 91 and a half range. It's a big number, but I think this team is worthy of it, is deserving of it, and I think they are unquestionably the top team here in the National League East. The Miami Marlins, a tough spot for them. I mean, if they were in a different division, they'd have a puncher's chance. But the problem here is that somebody in this division has to lose games. And it's probably going to be the Marlins. I love the rotation. I don't love anything else about this team. Last year in the short sample, 31 and 29. But they were outscored by 41 runs on the season. They were 24 and 36, according to base runs record. They got very, very lucky in a lot of their games. So I'm not buying anything that happened for them in the 2020 sample. They used 61 different players in that 60-game season. 61 players in a 60-game season did have that early COVID outbreak. That was a big part of it. But when I look at this team, you know, I just talked about everything I like about the Braves. You know, hitting fly balls, hitting high-velocity contact, hitting for power, all that kind of thing. The Marlins, they still hit a lot of ground balls. They still strike out a lot. They've got very limited power. This is not the kind of offensive profile in 2021 that I want to be a part of. 
They've got some guys that are trade candidates, could be platoon filler, bench guys, depth guys, all of that. That's an important thing too. When you look at the full season profile of a team, understand the situation where the Marlins have a lot of guys that they signed primarily to trade down the line to sort of improve their prospect pool. So if they don't play well this year, and I think there's a very good chance that they don't have the record, they will trade a lot of those guys. And this is not a team with a good minor league system, at least on the position player side. So they don't really have a whole lot, I don't think, that would excite me once we get to August and September if they start trading away some of those major league proven pieces. Now, I will say the rotation looks great. I mean, I love Sandy Alcantara, a very underrated guy, guy that stays off the barrel, good with his exit velocity metrics, added some velocity, added some strikeout swing and miss stuff last year. I like him. Pablo Lopez had the breakout. Sixto Sanchez looks like a great prospect. He got his feet wet last year. He looks really good coming into this season. Even Eliezer Hernandez wound up with some more swing and miss upside. Some more, some more, some more, excuse me, barrel avoidance in last year's sample. There's a lot to like about this pitching staff. The bullpen overhaul, I'm not sure about. So basically what the Marlins have done with the bullpen is they've put together a high percentage ground ball staff. And they don't have a lot of strikeout upside. And that's what worries me. When I get to relievers and late inning situations, I want strikeouts. I don't want to dick around with balls in play. I want swing and miss guys. Well, what the Marlins have is predominantly a pitch to contact bullpen with a lot of ground ball guys. And defensively, they're you know not, not great on the infield. So that concerns me. They're susceptible to batted ball luck. I think this bullpen could struggle at times over the course of the season. And they may have some leads to protect with this starting rotation. But the Marlins, to me, probably look like a bit of an under team. I don't think this offense is very good. I love this rotation. The bullpen, I get where they're going with it. And maybe they have success with it. I don't know. It's not my favorite part of the team, to say the least. So, you know, I'm not really buying or selling the Marlins from a season win total standpoint or anything like that. Just simply saying that I think this is a bad offense with a great rotation and a subpar bullpen. And that doesn't really translate to a lot of wins in my estimation. But again, I think from a game by game standpoint, we could make some money betting unders with the Marlins here, especially early on in the year. So the New York Mets, the team that everyone says has all the helium here in the National League East. And on paper, the offense looks great. You know, I think Francisco Lindor's offensive value is overblown. I don't think he's as good of an offensive player as he thinks or as perception about him would seem to believe. But there are lots of talented guys here. And the thing about the Mets last season, offensively, they were great with the bases empty. They were one of the best offenses in baseball with the bases empty. But they were league average or slightly below with runners in scoring position. And that's why they wound up being a team with a losing record, despite the offense that they had. I've talked about this a lot, but baseball is a game about sequencing. The timing of when you get your hits is very, very important. And for the Mets, they didn't get their hits at the right times. They were third in number of plate appearances with men in scoring position. But again, they were a league average offense in that split. So they just didn't cash in. Now on the plus side for the Mets, there is no year-to-year correlation in terms of performance with runners in scoring position. Usually the good teams will be better at it simply because they have better hitters. That's just the way that it is. But there is no year-to-year correlation. So people like to talk about the clutch factor and all that. It's noise. It's largely bullshit. Best players will be the best players in the big spots. That's just how it is. Being clutch is, is not really a skill. It's sort of a context-based type of thing. And for the Mets, they weren't clutch last year. But because there's no year-to-year correlation in terms of the clutch factor and all of that, they could be a lot better in that department here for this season. With that being said, with the bases empty, they overachieved. I don't love this offensive profile. They hit a lot of ground balls. They're very BABIP-dependent. They hit for power almost you know, just because they get a lot of base hits more so than actually hitting for a lot of prodigious power. So I think this offense regresses with the bases empty, but gets better with men in scoring position. So to some degree, 
it will kind of all cancel out here with regards to the Mets. Now on the pitching side, already some concerns popping up. I mean, Jacob deGrom is pumping 100 past everybody in spring training. No concerns about him. He's probably the best pitcher on the planet. But Carlos Carrasco, elbow soreness, then a strained hamstring. They're missing Seth Lugo from the bullpen, who is a really valuable piece in so many ways for this Mets team. I don't know if David Peterson is the guy. I don't know if Marcus Stroman will live up to the hype. I like Joey Lucchese, but they don't seem to like him as much. So he's kind of buried a little bit. I'm not a big believer in Taiwan Walker. I don't love that profile. So the Mets here, you know, when I look at this Mets team, you've got DeGrom. And I think a lot of question marks of guys that could probably end up above league average, but could also be league average. I don't know how much upside there is for this rotation. And the bullpen is fine, but I, you know, they're going to miss Lugo early on, who I think is going to be out probably until mid to late May. That's a significant loss. You know, Edwin Diaz bounced back in the 60 game sample, but is that who he is, you know, going to be this year? I don't know. The Mets have only gone over 90 and a half wins once since 2000. And you could make a case that this is the best Mets team in that span, but I don't know. You know, I, I'm buying more stock in the Braves than I am in the Mets at this point in time. And I could be very wrong. And I loved the Mets last season, but I just, there's something about this team that doesn't rub me the right way. Also, it's the Mets. We know something always happens in a negative way for them. So I don't know. The, the Mets to me are kind of an enigma. I, I'm not exactly sure what to expect from them. They will be good, but will they be great? That I don't know. So we move on to the Philadelphia Phillies here. And this is one of my soft spots for this season is the Phillies. I bet over 81 and a half wins. I bet plus 925 to win the division. I don't think I'll triple down with a World Series future, but I like this team quite a bit. And, you know, for the Phillies here, they had two massive glaring issues last season. The bullpen and the defense. They haven't really solved the defense much. The defense still on paper looks like a below average unit. I do think that that could ultimately be their undoing. But this Phillies bullpen looks a lot better here. Archie Bradley, Jose Alvarado, Brandon Kinsler, Tony Watson, proven MLB dudes, dudes with a track record. And maybe Hector Neris is better and more effective and healthier. And maybe... You know, they start to develop some bullpen arms from below, something like that. Maybe Sir Anthony Dominguez eventually winds up coming back. But the Phillies have dramatically upgraded their bullpen with those four names in Bradley, Alvarado, Kinsler, and Watson. Huge upgrades to the weakest part of this team. They had the worst bullpen in baseball last year. And frankly, it wasn't all that close. And what happened was, because that bullpen was so bad, They were 27th in ERA while being 14th in FIP and 7th in XFIP. And this was with a top five starting rotation by F-War, the Fangraphs calculation of war. So the bullpen was so bad that it took a top five, top 10 starting rotation and gave the Phillies a team that was 27th in ERA. So if they have fixed the bullpen, and I do think there's a good chance that they have. All of a the sudden, their weak link is at least a league average link at this point in time. And again, the defense still looks bad, but you know maybe they've found some ways to kind of improve that. Maybe a focus on increased strikeout percentage would help. Nola will get more strikeouts this year. Zach Wheeler, the same thing. Zach Eflin, when he gets back healthy, uh, probably the same thing for him. Maybe Spencer Howard is better. Uh, maybe Vince Velasquez stays together, all of that. I like the upside of this Phillies pitching staff and the offense last year, top 10 in the bubble, top 10 in that small sample size season, finally lived up to the hype, big increase in contact quality, 18 point jump in weighted runs created plus high walk rate hit for more power. They've got a very good and balanced lineup, pretty much one through eight here with the Phillies. So I like this team. I like bet over 81 and a half, 925 to win the division. I think this is kind of a sleeper team here coming out of the NL East. And I do think that there is a chance that this team could be good enough to be in the running for that second wild card spot. 
Finally here, the Washington Nationals. Max Scherzer's look good in spring training. That's a sigh of relief for the Nationals and their fans because he struggled last year. You know, decrease in contact quality, velocity was kind of hit or miss. Uh, the command was just not really there. But again, you know, it's spring training. It's early in the year. What happens as that wear and tear gets back on his arm where he will pass 2,400 innings probably in, in early May uh, for his career this season. Still not a believer in Patrick Corbin. Still not a believer in Steven Strasburg. Those two guys look like damaged goods here as far as I'm concerned. And you factor that in with the Scherzer age and injury risks. I don't like John Lester at all whatsoever. I don't like any of the quad A guys they keep throwing out there, the Eric Fetties and the you know, Austin Voths of the world. I don't like any of those guys that they have. This rotation is old. It's injury prone. It's probably going to start seeing, you know, some more decreases, especially from a guy like Scherzer. Uh, Corbin's velocity was not there last year. Strasburg is a guy that spent a lot of time in the trainer's room throughout his career, had that magic 2019 playoff run, and it got them a title. But the cost certainly seems to have been pretty high. I don't like this rotation. And it's hard to say with all of that name value that's there, but I don't like this Washington rotation a whole lot. The bullpen is also old. The bullpen has a lot of injury concerns as well. I think this pitching staff for the Nationals could really bottom out this season. I think that this is probably the worst pitching staff that they've had over the last few years. Just because of the injury risks and the age and all of that, I don't love this pitching staff at all. And then you look at Trey Turner, offensive regression coming for him. He was very, very good last year in the small sample. It was him and Juan Soto that carried this team. And I think both of those guys to some degree, will regress here and Turner to a much higher capacity than Soto. Soto will be an MVP candidate. He will carry this team. But the question is how far? And when you look at the guys they brought in, Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell, not great defensive players, you know, guys coming off of poor offensive seasons. Do they rebound? What does Starlin Castro have in a full season here? Uh, you know, he was pretty much unhealthy throughout most of last year. This could be a league average offense. And maybe you get a league average pitching staff. But I don't like this team. I think this is the weakest of the top four teams here in the NL East. And in fact, I will probably lock in a Washington under season win total ticket here before this season begins. Because I think this will be a team that's close to its rock bottom here, which is you know a team that maybe is in the 79 to 81 win range. Something like that. Like I talked about with the Marlins. Somebody in this division has to lose games. And the more I think about it, the more I look at it, the more I think Washington is one of those teams as the weakest here of the top four. We had a lot of good additions of ATS radio throughout the week. March Madness about to start here for the first round on Friday. So, you know, we talked about everything that we could Monday through Thursday covering college basketball. If you get a chance, go back and check those shows out. I'll be back on Monday with Kyle Hunter talking Sweet 16, talking what we saw in the NCAA tournament to that point. We'll talk CBI as that starts on Monday. We'll talk NIT and what's been happening there. And of course, next Friday on ATS Radio, I'll do another edition of the Betters Box here, probably looking at the NL Central and the NL West to finish up these five and fly previews. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Enjoy March Madness, and I will talk to you again on Monday.